Amen. Please be seated. You can turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, We're looking at verses 41 through 47, and the text is also in the bulletin. Let's pray, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, would you come and help us to understand your word and to be changed by it into the likeness of your Son, who dwells with you and the Holy Spirit forever in glory and and in love and in joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So what picture does the Bible give us of the the perfect eternal state, right? The the new heaven and the new earth, of the the redeemed and glorified creation that is at perfect peace with God. What picture does the Bible give us? Will it be like stepping into a Thomas Kincaid painting? Right, the painter of light, a, a cheery cottage uh, at dusk alongside a babbling brook with the windows warmly lighted from within. You know, will it be like that? Um, will it be like some kind of new, uh, vivid reality that's actually shaped by the, the the deepest longings of each person's soul? Like for you, it may be a never-ending kayaking trip, while for me, it might be returning to. Uh, grandma's house for Christmas, and for her, it might be a quiet garden of an English castle, um, maybe connected by interdimensional portals of some sort um, to the act- abstract realms that are conjured up by the other people. Will it be harps and clouds and wings and white gowns, or ethereal bliss frozen in a single uh, static eternal moment of joy? Uh, or a really long worship service. You see visions of eternity like these that are often portrayed in art, right? Pictures, books, movies. Um, And that's what our imaginations come up with when they're not informed by the Bible, right? Uh, Sure, there might be some true aspects, some good aspects about each of these kinds of uh, pictures of eternity, but the picture that we see in the Bible we see explicitly in Revelation chapter 21 is that of, quote, the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I bet that uh, not many people who sit and ponder eternity just 
spontaneously and delightfully think of it as a city. <laughs> right? Uh, Dennis Johnson, a <clears throat> uh, commentator who's written on the book of Acts, says, um, The Bible finds in the city a fitting portrait of the Father's home that awaits us, the place of perfect safety, sharing, justice, and joy. This conception of eternity is almost impossible for us to accept because we know what happens when people live together, right? And it sure isn't perfect safety, sharing, justice, and joy. Uh, apart from God, apart from the gospel, life uh, is hell. And as uh, and Jean-Paul Sartre said in his um, famous play, No Exit, um, hell is other people. Apart from God, apart from the gospel, hell is other people, right? Um, so his play, No Exit, which I highly recommend you see or read, or, um, or it's really fascinating. Uh, obviously, needs some discernment as you, as you uh, engage with it. But it portrays hell as a series of rooms and passages. And the play itself shows three people locked together in one room, uh, who begin to realize that um, even though they thought somebody was going to come and torture them, they're waiting. It's like the waiting room or something, right? Um, they thought somebody was going to come to torture them. Well, as the play goes along, they realize nobody's coming to torture them. They're actually quite adept at doing that to each other, right? Um, and they're stuck with each other forever. And it's really, it's really quite fascinating. Just three sinners are enough to actually terrify you of the thought. Who would want to imagine a whole city full? <laughs> right? Uh, and in fact, C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Great Divorce, portrays hell as a huge, sprawling city that goes for thousands and thousands of miles. Uh, it's this gray, dark city that's on a perpetual, kind of murky late afternoon that's just about to turn to evening that one day everybody's afraid will actually turn to night. And uh, it's a city that seems empty because people can't stand each other. In fact, uh, the longer people continue in this hell, they find a, a street that has a row of empty houses and so they go there. Uh, well, then somebody else comes and they can't stand it, so they move to the next street over. Right, And the further they go in, into hell, the further out to the edge of the city, they tend to move, separating themselves from everyone else by literally millions of miles. Those who have been there for a really long time are just way out there, even into the outer darkness, right? um, just to get away from others. People can't stand each other. I'm not talking about the great divorce anymore. <laughs> right. I, I mean, real people really can't stand each other. Uh, you know that if you've paid attention as you've grown up. Uh, people are selfish. We love ourselves. We use others. We tolerate others. Right? Sometimes when we actually get along well with others, it's only until uh, they do something that really hurts us or offends us. That shows us that, um, you know, they were just them-centered all along, not me-centered like I thought they were. Um, and then we treat them like strangers and enemies like we treat everybody else. 
We've all done this, and we've all had this done to us, I'm sure. And when that happens, that's hell breaking into earth. In our passage this morning, we see heaven breaking into earth. Uh, And it surprises us. The heavenly eternity, which is so hard for us to conceive, this concept of a, a perfect city where people are dwelling together in harmony forever, it's a holy community. Love and peace and joy reign there, right? Our, our text might seem like just some boring summary to you or maybe a transition point in uh, Luke's account, but it really is a truly incredible picture of what redeemed life looks like, life together as the church, what it looks like, um, life that's brought about by the grace of God, community that's shaped by the grace of God. <clears throat> It's a glimpse of the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Dennis Johnson again says, The church is to be a present foretaste of that future heavenly holy community. So let's get into the text and see what this community looks like and see how it is that we can become um, more like a community uh, from heaven. Uh, In verse 41... I'll just read through most of it, actually, again. So those who received his word, this, this follows right on the tales of uh, uh, Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, right? Peter had said, repent and be baptized, and so they repented and were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Skip down to verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. So 3,000 people is a good-sized community. It's not just you and a few of your closest friends in a a shared living situation, right? Um, Remember, the setting, again, is... Uh, following immediately after Pentecost, and the 3,000 here were largely Jews and proselytes to the Jewish religion, so Gentiles. But they had come from various nations, right? Various surrounding uh, countries to Jerusalem for the festival. So you've got plenty of cultural barriers. You've got plenty of linguistic barriers that exist here, even though, religiously speaking, they're mostly good Jews, right? Um, And it says that all who believed were together. And day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes together. And in spite of many major differences that probably existed between them, they were united by something better, something more wonderful than those things which normally would have kept them apart. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are made one body. We're united by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. We're united to the Son of God in his death and in his resurrection. And so we are united to all those who are also united to Jesus by faith. We have a spiritual love that overcomes any differences. I've seen the gospel take laid-back liberal hippies and fierce conservative entrepreneurs and make the best of friends of them. This is not something you can explain 
by anything other than the gospel. These people come together in a congregation and they praise God, right? Just like the people here in Acts, they come together in the temple. They're, they're together as a group, a corporate body, praising God. Together they draw water from the wells of salvation. They give thanks to the Lord. They call upon his name and proclaim that his name is exalted among the peoples, as we read in our Old Testament uh, passage from Isaiah 12. They're together doing this. Christians love uh, also not, not just to be in church together, but to spend time in one another's homes, breaking bread, as the text says, sharing meals with glad and thankful hearts. In our best moments, our conversations run quickly to good and beautiful things, not to complaining and gossip. Christians bear their souls to each other, not being suspicious of what the other person will do when they know who I really am or what's really going on inside of me. Right? Not being afraid to disclose our weaknesses to others because we're secure in the love of Christ. And Christians truly listen when friends share with them, extending only grace, never condemnation. Right? We, um, we bear one another's burdens rather than piling on unrealistic, unrealistic expectations of perfection. Uh, And not only do we share with each other about what's going on in our lives, we actually share our very lives with one another, as the Apostle Paul puts it in uh, 1 Thessalonians. We get to know one one another's um, real needs and think about ways and explore ways that the community can meet those needs, right? We rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep when there is a need. We share the roofs over our heads. We share the coats and the blankets in our closets. We share the food in our cupboards. We share the money in our pockets. And we aren't forced to do this, like in some uh, social or political systems where the ideal is uh, to actually remove the concept of private ownership. That's, That's not it. We're compelled by the love of Christ, by his voluntary generosity to, um, to become poor so that we might become rich. By his self-sacrificial love, giving away his very life for our life. People don't need to earn our favor. People don't need to clean up their lives in order to receive support from us. Because the gospel says we didn't earn it from God. Yet he freely gave it to us as he gave up even his own son for us. I imagine we could probably stand to grow some in this area. Verse 45 says they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. We've certainly got people among us who have needs, real needs. But I don't think I've ever actually sold any of my possessions in order to... um, be able to help provide for for people like that. Have you? Um, What kind of community is this that we see here? The kind of community that's being set forth in Acts is is truly a picture of a heavenly community, uh, a heavenly picture of eternity where our relationships will be made right forever. And Luke doesn't just paint a rosy picture here, right? 
glossing over the, the bad parts, he records plenty of the church's warts throughout the book of Acts. Um, but we do get a real glimpse of a real community that isn't based on any earthly affinities like politics or ethnicity or intellectual ability or artistic preference. This community crosses every barrier, every border. This community is focused on sharing the love of Christ, and that love, that fellowship, is deep, it's intimate, and it's costly. And honestly, when I think about who I am, and when I think about who some of you are, I'm uh, strongly tempted to think that this kind of community is laughable. It's impossible. Uh, It is only possible when we have truly first received the love and forgiveness of Jesus that is offered in the gospel. This kind of community is only possible when we begin to order our lives around the gracious love, the steadfast love of God. If you want to read a good little book on uh, community, pick up a book called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's very small. Um, in it, he contrasts merely human love with spiritual love. Right? Um, and he says this, Human love is by its very nature desire. Desire for human community. Might not sound bad, right? He's talking about a yearning for something that we don't have. Right, And if that love gives anything, it is just in order to get what we don't have, in order to get what we want. right? And this is what drives any earthly community. We need to get something here, so we band together in order to promise it to one another, be it love uh, or wealth or comfort or power or pleasure, Uh, We need to get it for ourselves by forming the biggest, most influential group, a tightly knit group that's really focused on what we want to get uh, because we're afraid we don't have it. We might make some sacrifices here and there, but only if it serves the ultimate purpose of getting what I need, love, security. We want, it, uh, we want very badly to be with people who are just like we are, who want the same things that we do, to be reinforced in our preferences, to be told that we're right, to feel secure because of the love that we get by giving ourselves to this particular community. It's a desire. It's a yearning for something that is not there. But when you're dealing with broken, sinful, selfish people, that kind of community quickly degenerates into hell on earth full of self-deception, illusions, suspicion, hypocrisy, cynicism, hurt, bitterness, the list goes on, right? The kind of community that comes out of heaven from God, on the other hand, only happens when we're not there to strive to get something that we need, that we don't have, or to hold on to something that We don't want to lose, right? It only comes when you know that all your needs have been met 
in Jesus. When you know that the full delighted love of God rests on you as an adopted son, an adopted daughter, and can never be lost, can never be taken away by anything. Bonhoeffer continues and says, Genuine spiritual love does not desire, but serves. So Christian love, Christian fellowship, truly serves, truly gives to the other because we're no longer trying to get anything from the relationship. Christian community is a place where we sell our stuff to make sure our brothers and sisters are taken care of and get everything they need. Christian community is a place where all believers, not just the pro-ministers or the church officers, right, where all believers are together and give and serve. Because when we didn't deserve it, God drew near to us. And he gave it all. And he served us. We've all done stupid, evil stuff, and we deserved condemnation, but God didn't condemn us. He found a way instead to bring us into eternal, joyful communion with the Trinity. We all clearly deserve distrust and suspicion. But God knows us inside and out, and he sent his son anyway. And he loved us anyway. And truly Christian community is a place where you love anyway, just like your father who's in heaven. And this kind of change in a community in your life only comes through the word of the gospel. Verse 42 of our text, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Um, we're going to sing the Apostles' Creed. That's not what this is talking about, right? Sometimes we recite on Sunday mornings the Apostles' Creed. That probably hasn't been formulated yet, right, by, this, by the, the time the events take place that are happening in this passage. It's not a systematic theology that they were learning from the Apostles. The Apostles knew good and well that they needed the grace of God. Every single one of them had betrayed, abandoned, or renounced Jesus. And the apostles knew good and well that they had the grace of God. Jesus appeared to them after his resurrection not to scold them, but to fold them into God's love and family and into his mission, his plan, what he's doing in the world And so the apostles took everything Jesus had taught them, everything that Jesus meant to them, and told everyone they possibly could about grace. And God himself backed them up by verifying the truth of their word with supernatural wonders and signs. Don't believe that God loves the world so that he gave his only begotten son for your eternal life? Miracle, healing, raise that boy from the dead. Now do you believe in the steadfast love of God that never ceases? Yeah. So the apostles taught 3,000 new believers, and they kept teaching more 
And the beautiful thing is that it says, awe came upon every soul. And that's not limited just to people in the church. Awe came upon every soul, believers and unbelievers alike. They were all awestruck by the powerful testimony of God's grace. Verse 47 says, The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day. It's in the context of heavenly community, in the sharing of spiritual love that comes from above, that comes from the gospel of grace, that people were being converted and putting their faith in Jesus. Unbelievers were seeing the heavenly community. They must have been invited in to experience it somehow, right? That's, that's implied. They heard the word of God. They heard the prayers and the praises. They saw the fellowship and the generosity. The gracious love of God had been shared with them. It says of the disciples in verse 47 that they were praising God and having favor with all the people. I'm actually confused as to why most translation puts it, puts it that way because it, it literally says that the disciples were praising God and having grace for all the people. Maybe that just doesn't make sense to the translators. They were praising God and having grace for or to all the people. My friends, when you truly know the love of Jesus that comes to you in spite of who you are, you cannot hold back grace from other people. It's impossible. When you know how electrifying grace has really been for you, you want so badly to share it with other people for their good. And I'm not talking about just being nice people, right? Just being nice to unbelievers. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the serious challenge of extending grace to others when left to your own devices, you would rather hate them. It's in that context that the Lord grows his church when we wish that more and more people would join us in this community of faith, in this foretaste of eternity. Uh, Leslie Newbegin says in his book, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society, uh, he's talking about spiritual renewal. He says uh, spiritual renewal in our communities will only happen when local congregations renounce an introverted concern for their own life and recognize that they exist for the sake of those who are not members as a sign, instrument, and foretaste of God's redeeming grace for the whole life of society. Maybe now the picture of eternity as a city. The thought of being together forever with a lot of other people seems a little bit less like hell and more like heaven. Uh, but only because of the redeeming power of God's grace that's making all things right. And that grace certainly is powerful. The holy city, the new Jerusalem, it's going to be a really big place full of good friends. So let's invite some more. Let's pray together. God, we can't believe that you've called us to be your friends. We who were your enemies, you sent Jesus to die for us while we were still your enemies. 
to make us into your friends. Teach us more about that kind of love. Would you fill our hearts with that kind of love that looks at everyone in the world the way that you have looked at us? Regardless of who they are, regardless of what they've done, you would help us to love them and to forgive others and accept them into our fellowship and and give others through us a taste of heavenly fellowship, heavenly community. We pray for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.